Welcome to On the Middle East, our Monitor's weekly podcast on the big events shaping the region. My name is Ambrun Zaman and I'm a senior correspondent for Al Monitor and I'm based in London. The murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018 at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul remains one of the most shocking state-sponsored killings in recent times. Turkey's president Recep Tayyip Erdogan led the chorus of protest against Khashoggi's gruesome murder leaking evidence to the media that pointed to the complicity of Saudi Arabia's young crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. Today, Erdogan is going out of his way to rebuild ties with the kingdom as Turkey grapples with its most serious economic crisis in decades. Justice for Khashoggi has fallen victim to that U-turn. With us here today to discuss these developments is Sarah Lee Whitson, executive director for Dawn, a Washington-based organization promoting democracy for the Arab world. It was founded by Jamal Khashoggi. So welcome to our show, Sarah. It's really wonderful to have you on. I've been following your amazing work for all these years, first at Human Rights Watch and now at Dawn. Well, thank you for having me. Turkey recently suspended the trial of 26 Saudi men accused of murdering and dismembering Jamal Khashoggi in the kingdom's consulate in Istanbul. It said it was turning the case over to the Saudi authorities because uh, the people who were meant to appear in court and never did so. And so they just, you know, didn't feel it was worth pursuing anymore. And it's quite a U-turn, considering that when this happened back in 2018, Turkish authorities were almost reveling as they leaked damning evidence against Saudi authorities and in particular against the Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman. I know this is an issue that you have been following very closely. So can you tell us why this is happening and what the impact of all of this will be? Well, you're right that it's a U-turn by the Turkish government, although I can't say I'm particularly surprised. Um, I think it was uh, pretty clear from uh, the beginning that a large motivation for Turkey was to see what kind of political advantages it could eke out of uh, what had happened to Jamal Khashoggi on its soil uh, and how it could use that as a political card uh, against Saudi Arabia. Uh, In some ways, the tables have turned on Turkey, given the collapse of its economy um, that has uh, dramatically increased its incentive to have better working relationships uh, with the Gulf states, with Saudi Arabia and UAE in particular. Uh, The UAE uh, bailed out the Turkish economy late last year and has promised massive new investments in the Turkish economy. And I think since last year, there have been major efforts at rapprochement underway um, because the Turkish government has decided that it needs good relationships with Saudi Arabia uh, for uh, its uh, uh, economic and political interests. And of course, this is part and parcel of its rapprochement with Egypt as well, uh, and Israel as well. Um, you know, whatever battles Turkey was fighting uh, in the region, uh, uh, whether for democracy or, 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 or for change, uh, the side it was on is lost and uh, Turkey's turning the page. And abandoning this trial is part and parcel uh, of that. 
Um, practically, I don't know that it has any real significance. The trial was pretty stalled. It was an absentia. Um, I think they have certainly given up an opportunity to uh, document uh, judicially and create a real record of the murder uh, with information and evidence that only the Turkish government had. Uh, you know, the audio recordings that they were uh, uh, obtaining surreptitiously from uh, their surveillance of the uh, consulate, uh, as well as the consul's residence, uh, have never been made public. The trial would have been an opportunity to make those public. So it's a loss in terms of evidence and documentation. I, I don't think, though, that it would have resulted in these people um, being jailed. You filed a lawsuit on behalf of Khashoggi's fiancé, Hatice Cengiz, alleging that bin Salman and his co-conspirators ordered the abduction, torture, murder and dismemberment and disappearance of Khashoggi. How is that going? Does Turkey's move affect this in any way? And, and how is Hatice feeling? I mean, she must be feeling really, I mean, let down, especially after a Turkish court yesterday rebuffed her appeal for the case not to be turned over to the Saudis. What sort of justice, if any, can we expect in the United States? Um, well, just to be clear, the lawsuit that we have is, is not on behalf of Khadija. Khadija and Dawn are co-plaintiffs. Uh, Dawn is suing in its own capacity uh, as the organization founded by Jamal uh, and who uh, lost its executive director and suffered harm uh, because of the murder of Jamal. Um, so uh, she and we are, are both plaintiffs in this lawsuit together. Um, the uh, defendants, uh, at least two of them, uh, Mohammed bin Salman and uh, Al-Qahtani, have filed a motion to dismiss. Uh, that motion has been pending for several months. We are waiting for the judge to make a decision. Um, they are uh, primarily challenging the lawsuit on jurisdictional grounds. And uh, if we uh, defeat this motion to dismiss, we will then immediately proceed with discovery. Uh, discovery will give us the authority to demand uh, that the defendants and other parties of interest, other witnesses, uh, others who may uh, have knowledge and information to be subpoenaed uh, to uh, participate in uh, disclosing information and evidence about this murder. Um, so we are at a very critical point in our uh, trial, and we are eagerly waiting for uh, the judge's decision, which we hope and expect uh, will be on our side and will reject uh, the baseless motion to dismiss. Um, you know, of course, Khadija was extremely disappointed uh, in, in the Turkish government's abandonment of this trial, and that's why she tried to appeal the decision. Uh, it's not something she has any control over, unfortunately. Um, but I think beyond that, uh, Khadija speaks for herself and, and she can tell you directly uh, her thoughts on the matter. And uh, just to remind our audience who Kahdani is, he's the former royal court advisor who's allegedly oversaw that gruesome uh, murder, right? Um, yes. So... <laughs> I mean, will the U.S. court, I mean, I don't know much about how it works in the United States, but do, do, can they subpoena the Turkish government for that evidence that you said Turkey has in its possession? Well, I can't say that I'm an expert in uh, U.S. civil procedure either. 
Um, but I know that uh, as parties to the suit, um, we can uh, seek discovery from parties of interest uh, and uh, demand cooperation. I, I don't know the technicalities of a U.S. court's authority to subpoena uh, 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 non-parties to the case, uh, such as the Turkish government, um, but would certainly ask to uh, have them share uh, information uh, that we're seeking in discovery. Well, we just saw that Wall Street Journal piece uh, talking about how the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and his Middle East Director Brett McGurk have been sort of furiously seeking apparently to fix ties, right? Particularly with um, Mohammed bin Salman, but he seems to be giving them the finger, right? While giving Jared Kushner $2 billion. Um, I mean, do you think that this, that the conflict in Ukraine is giving these oil-rich Middle Eastern autocrats more of a free pass to do horrible things to their own people and get away with it. Um, how would you rate the Biden administration at this point on, on human rights? Well, um, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, not just about how I rate the Biden administration on human rights. It's how I rate the Biden administration in terms of its overall foreign policy uh, and approach to the Middle East. Uh, and I don't give it very good marks um, because unfortunately uh, the uh, officials who are designated to represent America's interests are compromised and conflicted. Um, they are beholden to and continue to be influenced by defense industry lobbyists and foreign government lobbyists, uh, perhaps not as uh, blatantly and as cravenly as Jared Kushner was, uh, but nevertheless, um, we know that our own elected government officials, including those in the Biden administration, have deep ties uh, to uh, defense industries uh, and uh, Gulf governments, which compromises their decision making uh, and I think keeps them incentivized uh, to maintain close relationships, to uh, keep oil uh, flowing and to keep weapons sales going. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, I think the Biden administration uh, is trapped in that same uh, uh, problematic dynamic. Um, that being said, I think the Ukraine war has been a very clarifying moment uh, because all of the compromises that the Biden administration and the Trump before them and Obama before them have told the American people we have to make, we have to side with these authoritarian, apartheid, uh, unaccountable, uh, abusive governments because they serve America's interests. Well, I think Ukraine is showing even that to be a lie uh, because when push has come to shove and when the United States urgently needs their support uh, for the war in Ukraine uh, to sanction Russia, to increase oil output, we have seen that all of the concessions we've made to support these abusive governments in hopes that we will have leverage and maintain uh, uh, American uh, primacy and leverage over them is actually very, very thin. Uh, and they are not willing uh, to act in America's interest. They are not willing to sanction Russia. They are not willing to increase oil output, um, which should leave Americans scratching their heads, asking why we are really making these concessions, these bad concessions, these harmful concessions that are devastating for the people of the region and clearly not serving America's own interests, why we're continuing to make them. 
Uh, and we're seeing the same thing with Turkey also, as it continues to attack Kurds in Iraq and uh, in Syria, and civilians continuing to die as a result of, of those attacks. And yet there's total radio silence, right? Absolute total radio silence. Uh, Iraq's sovereignty continues to be the trampling ground of many uh, foreign states, uh, Turkey among them, the America, uh, the United States among them, uh, Iran among them. Um, sadly, uh, the Iraqi government has never recovered its sovereignty uh, since the invasion of the country. And finally, uh, I'd like to turn to what's happening now in Israel. Again, how would you assess uh, the reaction of the Biden administration to what's going on there? Well, I mean, it's it's been pathetic and it's been destructive and damaging um, because uh, the Biden administration's only approach is conflict maintenance, uh, how to maintain and support Israel's apartheid uh, occupation, uh, uh, rule by force, rule by violence over millions of Palestinians with as little resistance and noise uh, and protests from the Palestinians as possible. Uh, that has entailed a formula of bribing the Palestinian Authority into continuing to act as Israel's security subcontractor. Uh, it has entailed protecting Israel when it bombards Gaza uh, and uh, uh, keeps things in line there by rejecting ceasefire resolutions at the Security Council. Uh, it has entailed defending Israel uh, when its uh, illegal settlements continue to expand, uh, ensuring that there are no international sanctions or punishments imposed uh, on it, and continuing to protect Israel uh, from investigation uh, at the International Criminal Court by, of course, sanctioning uh, the International Criminal Court's prosecutor, uh, her staff, and their families uh, for daring to investigate Israel. Um, I think we can expect this cycle of violence uh, to continue um, because any human beings living under such extreme oppression will resist, will push back. Um, and I'm sure that uh, uh, America's uh, approach to keeping a lid on the conflict will continue to fail. Um, uh, I think that there is a massive shift in American public opinion about America's unconditional support uh, for Israel, particularly in the wake of report after report, conclusion after conclusion that it is a state that is exercising, that is carrying out the crimes of apartheid and persecution. Um, and uh, on yet again, it's on yet another matter where what the American government does, what the particular Biden administration does or administrations before it is not aligned with American public opinion, is not aligned with American values, is not aligned with what the American people want. And can we say the same of these uh, Gulf kingdoms that now recognize Israel and have established diplomatic relations with them? I mean, uh, uh, do the people oppose what their governments are doing? And do the Palestinians actually have any friends left in the world? Well, I mean, it's really hard to know what public opinion is in the Gulf, given that public opinion surveys are prohibited, uh, particularly on political matters. Uh, 
you know, my own inadequate and anecdotal reading uh, is that particularly for the age bracket over 40 in Saudi Arabia, there is very strong sympathy for the Palestinian people. Uh, there is great outrage about the continued abuse and oppression of Palestinians by the Israeli government. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, Saudi Arabia has still not normalized relations uh, with Israel. And I don't think we will see that happen like while King Salman is still alive. Uh, the UAE is probably a different matter, uh, given that there's just no real civil society in the country to speak of. Uh, it's really just a family run business operation. Um, and everything is done in the interests of the emirs and their prophets and their families. Uh, it's hard to really think of that as a country or state. Um, certainly where there is more space for public opinion, like in Kuwait, uh, you've seen uh, that they have not signed any sort of normalization and that there's been a great deal of, of resistance and condemnation of these normalization moves by the Kuwaiti parliament, uh, which does have some modicum of voice. Um, the reality, however, that we have to recognize is that for the younger generation uh, of the Arab world uh, uh, writ large, uh, Palestine is not the burning issue that it once was. There are no wars uh, against Israel by their own governments. Uh, they are not uh, trumpeted in the uh, popular national medias the way they were in the past. Uh, and I think it has seeded into the background of what are the most pressing issues uh, in the minds of uh, Arab youth. Well, dearest Sarah, thank you so much for all your very, very incisive uh, remarks and uh, hope to have you again on our show in the near future. Thanks for having me. Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. you enjoyed our conversation with Sarah Lee Whitson and hope you'll join us next week when Andrew Parasoliti hosts yet another fascinating guest for On the Middle East. Mm -hmm.